Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We're going to have a really wonderful hour with Jeff Redorn. If you've been following our Revelation study and time study, now is the day to ask your questions. If you've been storing them up or we're going to refresh your memory, we're going to do a little greatest hits of what we've talked about and then open up the the floor uh, and Jeff will do his very best to answer any of your questions. We already have some coming in, so that will be good. So we'll put Jeff in the hot seat today. Jeff, pull up a chair and make yourself uncomfortable. Hi, Bill. Yeah, nice to have you here. I'm comfortable. <laughs> Good. It's been a wonderful uh, study, and I'm excited because uh, I know the listeners have got some questions, and I've got some great ones already coming in. But let's just kind of do an overview real quick. Well, sure. Let's summarize. I guess we've done six weeks of of the end time study before we got to today. So a little bit of an overview. So I believe that Scripture tells us that the next event on God's prophetic time clock is the rapture of the church. Jesus said, I go and prepare a place for you, and I will certainly come back and take you to be where I am also. I think that represents the rapture of the church. So at some unannounced day, at an hour that we do not expect, the trump in heaven will sound, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God, First Thessalonians 4, will sound, and the dead in Christ, those part of the church that have already died, they will rise first, they will receive their glorified bodies first, then we who are alive and remain, the rest of the church who's alive at that moment, will be glorified and caught up together with them in the clouds, and there we'll be with the Lord forever. So we dedicated kind of one of the shows about what is the rapture, who participates, what does it look like, and uh, and the timing of the rapture in terms of God's plan for the end of the age. So that's the what I believe Scripture points to is the first or next event on God's plan for the end of the age. Then comes a seven-year tribulation period. This is the uh, final seven-year judgment that God uh, proclaimed on Israel all the way back in Daniel chapter 9. That kind of sets the framework for a future seven-year period. Matthew 24 describes some of the events of this tribulation period. And, of course, the book of Revelation gives us a lot of the details about some of the events and characters and things that happen during the seven-year tribulation. At the end of that tribulation... We have Revelation 19. We have Jesus coming back, riding on a white horse, eyes ablaze, sword coming out of his mouth, and he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. That's where it says, and on his robe and on his thigh, he had this name written, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. I just love saying that, don't you? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he comes back to rule and reign and establish his kingdom. That's why, by the way, that's why we pray. The Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I know some in Christianity believe that we are in the kingdom right now, that this is the kingdom. But I argue that, no, if you read the Old Testament descriptions of what this kingdom is like, today, right now, doesn't look like that at all. (laughs) Not at all. No. Open up the newspapers. He says that men will beat their weapons into plowshares. There'll be peace on earth. 
And uh, we are just not there yet until the Prince of Peace returns to establish peace on this earth. So he uh, rules and reigns on earth for a thousand years. That's uh, called the millennial reign of Christ or the thousand-year reign of Christ. Satan is bound during that time. We are ruling with him. We will be in our glorified bodies during that time, and we are ruling with him on earth. Um, the temple is rebuilt in Jerusalem, and uh, and he will rule from sea to sea. At the end of that thousand-year reign, there is one last rebellion. Satan is loosed or released one last time, and all of those who, believe it or not, are born during that time and don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior, even though he's their king on earth, they will join this one last rebellion. And Revelation 20 says, in the breath of God, fire came down from heaven and devours them. And that is the end. That's when heaven and earth flee from their pres- from God's presence. There's a thing called the great white throne judgment. That's judgment day for all the lost that have ever lived from the beginning of time until the end of time. And uh, and the lost then, sadly, are thrown into the lake of fire. Scripture says in the lake of fire is the second death. But it has to happen that way. It has to happen that way because then God says that he makes a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. And he says nothing unrighteous will ever enter into it. And he says that then God will dwell with man, Revelation 21, verse 3. And he will be their God, and we will be his people, and we will live with heaven and earth together on a new earth. It's literally this earth is remade, and he makes all things new. Heaven comes down to earth, and heaven and earth are together for all of eternity, and that is our eternal state. So that, in a nutshell, is God's plan for the end of the age. I love it. I love the idea, Jeff, that we're going to be following Jesus on horses Hmm. in the second coming. Yeah, it says in Revelation 19 that the armies of heaven were following him, dressed in fine linen, white and clean, yeah. each on their own white horse. I love that. Isn't that a great yeah. picture? Yeah, you've already named your horse, haven't you? I have. What's my, your horse? My horse's name is Thunder. Okay, mine's going to be Steroid Larry. <laughs> I, I want a horse that's really jacked up. Is this, you changed the name of your horse, uh, I guess, after the last... Uh, yeah, I did. Third, I, yeah, I, wanted a, I wanted a better horse's name. But, uh, had they proved that there was drugs in those horses? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not following. Steroid, steroid Larry Steroid Larry, yeah. Okay. yeah. Will you ride next to me on the I will. I'd be happy okay. to. I'll be a little bit ahead of you, though. <laughs> <laughs> by a nose. Because my, my horse will be <laughs> and, and just a steroid Larry a by a nose. faster, exactly. All right. All right, so what do you say to the person, Jeff? The question is... Uh, I get I get scared about the idea of the end times and, and the rapture. That feels scary to me. So whenever I teach this class on the rapture, I have a whole semester class that I do on this at, uh, at churches and different venues and stuff. And one, I tell you, one of the most common questions that I get is some I'll, I'll, at the very beginning, I'll ask, what are your expectations for this study? And um, almost every time someone will ask something like, what do you say to those people who are afraid of the end times? And my quick answer is, is, well, then they don't understand the end times, right? And But my next question is, well, are you a believer or are you an unbeliever? Because as an unbeliever, you will, are, are appointed to this wrath in the tribulation period, and it's not going to be a very nice time. But if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, then I believe that you will be caught up at the rapture 
before all of this wrath of God starts coming down from heaven. So it is a, it is a message of our hope. And if there's one kind of big theme that I'd love to get across today is that our understanding and our studying of the end times is really a study of our hope, of our eternal hope, and, uh, and our being caught up together with him in the clouds. The rapture passage, actually, in 1 Thessalonians 4, ends with this line. After he describes the rapture, he says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Mm-hmm. Oh, the rapture is, a, is called in Titus our blessed hope. It is our hope that it he's going to come one day and take us to be where he is also. Should we start some cute questions? Sure. All right. Uh, this is coming from Mike. What if his interpretation of rapture timing is wrong? If the post-tribbers are right, I hope he's right, but kind of ready for trip times. I sure hope he's right, but don't want to turn away because God's plans don't align with mine. Hmm. So I had a pastor at a church. He taught on the rapture once. He, he suggested this comic idea. He wasn't serious now that uh, that God would rapture people according to their belief in the rapture. So all the, those who believe in a pre-trib rapture would go up pre-trib. All <laughs> those who believe in a post-trib would go up post-trib. And he said, so when I'm going up pre-trib, I'm going to look back at all of you and go, na, 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 na. It's like, no, he was, he was joking, yeah. obviously. So um, look, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have trials and tribulations in this world. Uh, Christians have been martyred and killed and persecuted and imprisoned. And I have met family of people in countries like Vietnam who watched their families get shot because they were simply pastors of a church. Um, so this we have been persecuted for 2,000 years. Uh, don't mistake trials and tribulations with the wrath of God, with the tribulation. This is when God pours out his wrath on the earth. And one of the reasons that we talked about early on when we were talking about the rapture was that the church is not appointed to suffer wrath. God's wrath does not remain on the church. And that's one of the strong reasons why I believe the church will not go through the tribulation period. We look at the world flood. There's a little example of God pouring out his wrath on the world. Exactly. And actually in Matthew 25, uh, God talking of this time, the seven-year tribulation period, he says it will be just like the days of Noah. People were eating and drinking and giving in marriage right up until the day that Noah entered the ark. And then it says, and then destruction came upon them. So I believe just like Noah was brought into the ark and God shut the door and they were protected through that wrath of God— so too we will enter the door of heaven, Revelation 4, verse 1, and we will be in that heavenly ark protected from the wrath of God that he's pouring out on the world. Mm-hmm. We're doing a Q&A with Jeff Redorn as we are concluding our study on the end times in the book of Revelation. So that means this. If you have a question about Revelation end times, let me know what it is. Ask away, 844-877-933-2484. Jim's question is up next when we come back.
Taking questions after our six-week study on end times and revelation. It was a wonderful study, and I know you may have a question or two. You're welcome to send them over via text, 877-933-2484. Jeff Jim said, um, somewhere one of the prophets says, if a man dies at 100, he will be considered a mere youth. So I'm confused. In the thousand-year kingdom, people will still die? What happens to them? And in the new creation, Revelation 21.4, it says death will no longer exist. Can you clarify? Yeah, so we're talking, remember, we have the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, and then we have the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. So let's cover the thousand years first. During that thousand-year reign, there are going to be, the church will be glorified in our glorified bodies. We cannot die in our glorified bodies, just like Christ is in his glorified body, and we will be ruling and reigning with Christ for that thousand years. However, there will be people still in their earthly bodies who live through the tribulation, accept Christ, the sheep of the sheep and the goat judgments, and the remnant of the nation of Israel. They enter into the thousand-year reign, believers, and in their human bodies— but they will have children, and their children will have children, and so on, over a thousand years. And yes, the Old Testament describes the kingdom as uh, lifespans uh, increasing, that if a man dies at a mere hundred, he'll be considered accursed or something. I can't remember the exact passage, Um, but you're right. Uh, But that is for those who are in their bodily forms. What happens to them? Well, if they are a believer, they go to heaven, just like we go to heaven today. And if they are an unbeliever, they go to Hades, the torment side of Hades, uh, which is exactly where people who are unbelievers today go. So it will continue to operate and work the same exact way. The second part of that question is that says there will no longer be any death. Well, that's a description of the eternal new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem. That's after the thousand-year reign when he makes all things new and the new heaven and new earth come together, and that's our eternal state. And in that state, it will only be the righteous, only in glorified bodies, and that's when there will be no more death. Thank you for that. There's another question Joseph asks regarding the end times. If we're not raptured, before the mark of beast is implemented and God has not yet appointed us to wrath, was wondering scripturally how God may sustain, protect, and provide during that time. Many believe his return is after the sound of the last trumpet, according to 1 Corinthians 15, and Christians will be present during that seven-year tribulation period. Yeah, so this is another question on whether or not the pre-trib rapture is biblical or not. Uh, We discussed a little bit about what the last trumpet means. There's uh, several alternatives for that last trumpet, and that is the seventh trumpet of the seven trumpet judgments of the book of Revelation. So that's where some get a mid-trib or a pre-wrath rapture view because they believe the last trumpet is, is the seventh trumpet of Revelation. Others believe there's another trumpet at the end when Jesus returns, where he sounds the trumpet and gathers his elect. I believe that's Israel, so I don't believe that's the last trumpet either. 
I think the proper interpretation of the last trumpet is the last trumpet of the Feast of Trumpets, which is uh, is symbolic, is going to coincide with being symbolic of the, the start of the end times or the rapture of the church. And so I, I believe that the proper understanding of the last trumpet is a pre-trib rapture. But look, God is always present with his people. Uh, if you have trials and tribulations today, is God there? Of course he is. So when we go through any trials and tribulations, if 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 this caller believes that he's going to go through the seven-year tribulation, I'd, I'd try to go through the 10 reasons why I believe biblically that it's pre-trib, but if he believes it, the question is kind of the, the broader question is, well, is God going to be there? Well, of course he's going to be there, but you you will suffer during that. It's going to be a nasty time. Just as Christians today suffer and just as Christians today are martyred for Christ and just as Christians today are persecuted in the name of Christ, uh, magnify that, uh, you know, a hundred times over. Matthew 24 says this will be the greatest distress that the world has ever seen and will ever see again. That's how bad the tribulation period is, because that's God pouring out his wrath on earth. And I believe strongly the church is not appointed to suffer wrath. Mm -hmm. We're not under God's wrath. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Bridget asks, when Satan is bound in the abyss for a thousand years, what happens to the fallen angels, the demons, that do his bidding? When I read Jude 6... It seems to imply they are already bound in chains until the day of judgment, which is even more confusing for her. I cannot find evidence that they are in the abyss with Satan during this time. Furthermore, if they are not in the abyss, will they continue to be operating and influencing for evil during the millennium? And if so, would this not be a part of the propagation of evil during this time, despite Jesus' physical presence on earth and Satan's imprisonment. Wow. Good question. See what I mean? How much time do we have? Two more hours. Two more hours? Yeah. Um, So question number one is kind of, uh, if Satan is bound during the thousand years, and Scripture tells us that Satan is bound for those thousand years, what about the demons? So that's question number one, I guess. Um, Scripture doesn't tell us what happens to the demons. I guess most... Uh, end times uh, studiers would argue that, well, if Satan is being thrown into the abyss and locked up for a thousand years, his minions would be locked up with him as well, uh, because that's the state. Christ is ruling over the earth. So they're they're chained up, they're locked up. So I think most, I, I've never taken a survey, but I would argue that probably most uh, prophecy students would tell you that they pro- they believe that the demons are locked up with Satan, even though Scripture does not address that subject. The second part of that question, however, is who are the demons? She is correct that both Jude and um, Peter describe that the angels have been locked up in gloomy dungeons, in the Greek it's Tartarus, um, since the time of the flood, on being held for the day of judgment. So there's there's two ideas of who the demons are, because we know demons exist. One is that they're fallen angels. But according to this question, Jude and First Peter, if they're being held for judgment, then the demons of today cannot be the fallen angels of old because they're being held for judgment. So we need to come up with a different uh, source for the demons that are mucking up around in the world today. 
Um, I personally believe one of the other views is that they are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim from Genesis chapter 6. Now, that's, this is about a 20-minute conversation, and we don't need to go there. But uh, if these men of renown, when the, when the sons of God, fallen angels, saw the daughters of men and had children with them, and these men of renown, these Nephilim, were destroyed at the flood, their spirits then are the demons of today. So that's one idea. But again, we only have a couple passages on this, so uh, you know, don't ever be dogmatic about the, the source of those demons. But she's right. The fallen angels, it seems, in Scripture are being held today and therefore wouldn't be the fallen or the, uh, the demons of today. Mm-hmm. All right. When is the wedding banquet? Oh, the, the marriage supper, the feast. So I believe the feast, when we are raptured and go up to heaven, that's when we experience the judgment seat of Christ or the, the Bema seat. This is our reward ceremony. When we receive our, our crowns in our glorified bodies up in heaven and we're dressed in fine linen and then we come back on the white horses. Jesus treads the winepress of the wrath of God. He destroys all the armies. This is Armageddon stuff in the book of Revelation. And then he establishes his kingdom for a thousand years. I believe that feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, is on earth and is the first thing that we do when we start the kingdom of God here wow. on earth is this wedding feast. Oh, that sounds great. And Isaiah f- says that there'll be the the f- choicest meats and the finest wines at this banquet. Mm. All right. Will we see the Antichrist? Well, it all depends on your view of the rapture. So being a strong proponent of a pre-trib rapture, uh, that means that we are raptured from the earth up to heaven prior to the first seal being broken in Revelation chapter 6. That first seal being broken is the is the onslaught of the Antichrist on the world. So that first seal is is broken, and then there's this rider on a white horse, and he comes bent on conquest. And, um, and that, I believe, is the Antichrist, and he comes on the scene. And so if we're, we're, if we're raptured, Revelation 4.1, John was on earth, on Patmos. He saw a door standing open and was caught up to heaven and then sees all the events unfold. I think that's symbolic of the rapture of the church. We are caught up to heaven, and then all these events take place. So no, we will not see the, uh, the advent or the coming of the Antichrist. So there's a lot of Christians who think we should be looking for the Antichrist because they believe we're not going to be, there's no pre-trib rapture. And it's kind of like, this is kind of a simple question. Does God want us looking for the Antichrist or does God want our eyes fixed on heaven waiting for Christ? Uh, The second one. Yeah, the second one. (laughs) Good answer. All right, we'll take a little break. When we come back, lots more questions. Let us know what they are, 877-933-933. 2484. If you just joined this discussion, Jeff Dorn is my guest. We're talking about end times that we studied for six weeks. We're opening up this entire hour to questions that you might have about end times or the book of Revelation. Let me know what they are. Send them on over 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. Show with Bill Arno, Drive Time, Drive Time, the 
So glad to have my friend and teacher and mentor, Jeff Redorn, in studio. We've concluded our study on end times in the book of Revelation, and now, today, we're just opening up for questions. So let me know what questions you have. There's some great ones coming in. Jeff, let me ask you this. Uh, here's a question. Will we see the temple being built? Hmm. Um, we know in Scripture that the temple, the rebuilt temple, remember there's no temple there. The last temple was destroyed in 70 AD uh, by the Romans, by the Roman general Titus, and he knocked it to the ground and and removed every stone from another. Oh, just as Jesus prophesied in 32 AD, it happened in 70 AD. In fact, you can still see the stones um, thrown off the Temple Mount on the side of the Temple Mount today, to this day, almost 2,000 years later. Um, so we know from Scripture that the Antichrist is going to set up an abomination of desolation in the temple of God, and that happens at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation. Scripture does not tell us when the temple is actually rebuilt, either before the rapture or after the rapture. We don't know. Now, I will say many believe that the rapture of the church will usher in this, uh, this covenant that the Antichrist is going to make um, for seven years, and that that will be, part of that agreement will be the rebuilding of the temple. That's a good theory, but there's nothing in Scripture that backs that up. So could the temple be rebuilt today before the rapture of the church? Yes, there's nothing in Scripture that says when it's built. All we know from Scripture is the temple has to be standing by the midpoint of the tribulation period. So, and actually Israel is ready to rebuild that temple today. All right, that's almost the exact answer I would have given. Mm, good. Yeah. So we think alike. Yeah, we do. Yeah, I love that. I like it. All right, here's another one. Can you explain the significance of Revelation 20, verses 4 and 5, especially the beheaded reigning for a thousand years with Jesus, followed by the rest of the dead after the thousand years? Yeah, um, kind of a complicated passage, but it's part of the first resurrection, which is the resurrection unto life or unto glory. And I believe that the church is raptured and receives our glorified body. So that's when the church comes to life and is glorified. But there will be many believers who are killed during the tribulation period. They will have come to faith in Christ, believed, received the Holy Spirit, and, and be put to death, either by the, the wrath of God that's pouring down on the earth or at the hands of the Antichrist or however. And we know that many people believe during the tribulation period because John sees a great multitude in heaven that the angel tells him came out of the great tribulation. So we know that at the very start of the tribulation, there are no believers, but thanks goodness, God doesn't leave the world like without a voice, he sends two witnesses and he seals 144,000 and they preach the gospel and a great multitude of people believe and are saved from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Well, they're up in heaven then during the tribulation period and they receive their glorified bodies at that time. So if I can read the passage, it says, Then I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge... Now, those are people who have already been glorified and are already seated, ready to judge. That's us. That's the church. That's the glorified church. And then those who died during the tribulations is next. And it says, and I saw the souls 
of those who have been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and they had not worshipped the beast or its image and not received the mark on their forehead, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So I think that's the glorification of those believers who were killed during the tribulation period. They received their glorified bodies. They reign with us for a thousand years. All right, Jeff, here's a question. Listener says, I personally don't believe post-trib. So he's been paying attention to your class, Mm -hmm. right? Yep. I think the rapture will be pre- or mid-trib and will usher in the Antichrist. Is there a correlation, perhaps? There has to be world chaos in order to bring about the need for world peace. Millions go missing. Could definitely be a legitimate factor of world chaos and need for world peace. Well, he is going to appear to the world as a bringer of peace. Remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And uh, so when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he is going to be uh, an attractive person to the world. Right, And I think the church has to be removed because I think in a lot of ways the church would recognize this guy and point him out. But I think he's absolutely right. The removal of the church then at the rapture, at the pre-trib rapture, will then usher in the oncoming, the coming of the Antichrist at that first seal. So, yeah, I do think there's a connection because that's God's plan. That's exactly how I think the timeline falls out. So I just will add one more thing about the pre-trib rapture. Look— We did a a show, and I encourage your listeners to go back and listen to it. I think I gave about 10 biblical reasons why the rapture has to be before the tribulation period. Um, And uh, and look, there's no one place in Scripture that says, and the rapture happens before the tribulation. But I think when you study all the pieces and you put the pieces together, I'm convinced it can't be any other way. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. All right, if Tanya, let's see, if you, hmm, if the dead in Christ rise first, mm-hmm. where are they rising from, if not from their graves? Uh, very good question. So where are the dead in Christ? That's the question. And what does rising mean? So this actually took me a while when I started teaching this, that everybody's, when, I, when you read the dead in Christ rise first, their mind goes to the graves of those people who are Christians who have died because they think that's where they are. Well, that's not where they are. We know where the dead in Christ are, and they are in heaven. So absent from the body, present with the Lord. Paul says it would be better for me to depart, meaning die, and be with the Lord. It's better by far, he says, right? So when a believer in Christ dies, they are in heaven. So rising... According to 1 Corinthians 15, the great resurrection chapter literally means to be resurrected. Rising equals being resurrected. So the dead in Christ will be resurrected first. They will receive their glorified bodies first. So where are the dead in Christ? They're in heaven. They receive their glorified bodies. Then we who are alive and left will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We receive our glorified bodies then we will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and there we will be with the Lord forever. So there's no coming out of the grave, right, of, the, of Christians' graves, because they're in heaven. Their soul and spirit is in heaven. Their body returned to the dust of the ground from where it came. Appreciate that, Jeff. 
What I do want to do, go back and discuss one more time, because mm-hmm. I found this really fascinating during our study, is the most likely candidate for the Antichrist, who's mm. been around for a long time. Yeah, so we have some clues on who this guy uh, is. And if you go back to the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 11, there is a discussion of uh, Daniel sees future kingdoms of the world. We have the vision of the statue, so the the head and the arms and the belly and thighs and the feet. And we know what those kingdoms are. Well, after the Greek kingdom, it says in Revelation or in Daniel chapter 11 that his kingdom, which is Alexander the Great, by the way, he's not named, but he is named. He's is, he's talked about in Scripture. His kingdom is divided into four, and then there's these wars described of what happens between kind of the king of the north and the king of the south and so on. It then starts describing this one king that comes years later, and his name is Antiochus Epiphanes. And in Daniel chapter 11, it starts out describing the history of Antiochus Epiphanes. But then it switches, and the narrative seems to be a description, not of Antiochus, but of the future Antichrist. And most commentators will tell you that starting in verse 21, um, is historical, Daniel eleven twenty one is historical all the way up until verse 36. And then verse 36 to the end of the chapter is a, is a prophetic picture of the coming Antichrist. I agree with that. But I also think there's a number of clues that we don't have time to get into today that indicate that it's actually Antiochus Epiphanes that comes back as the Antichrist. Dun, dun, dun. You know, here's this. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. who's the Antichrist? Well, in Revelation, it says that the beast that you saw, this Antichrist, once was, now is not, but is going to come again out of the abyss. Whoa. So we need to look for an Antichrist that's not born, but once was. Remember, John's writing Revelation in 90 AD. So this, this beast had to exist prior to 90 AD. Now does not, so he's dead, he doesn't exist, but then is coming back from the abyss. Now, do you have you ever met anybody from the abyss? No. No, I haven't either. But it says of this Antichrist, this beast, he is coming from the abyss. So I look for clues in Scripture of who once was, now is not, and is coming again out of the abyss. And I go back to Daniel 11, and I start putting the pieces together, and I actually believe that Antiochus Epiphanes is more than just a a picture of the coming Antichrist, I actually think it he is going to be the returned Antichrist. Tell me where that passage is again, Jeff. Is Daniel, it Daniel 11. 11. Yes. Do you have it handy? Can you read that? Well, it's, it's a good part of the passage. In verse, uh, it starts in verse 21 where it says, He will be succeeded by a contemptible person who has not been given the honor of royalty. He will invade the kingdom when his people feel secure, and he will seize it through intrigue. So most commentators believe this is 175 B.C. This contemptible person is Antiochus IV Epiphanes, and that what is described in verse 21 all the way through verse 35 is an historical narrative of this Antiochus. By the way, it's Antiochus who was the one who set up an abomination in the temple way back when in 168 B.C., he is the guy that set up an abomination 
in the temple. Well, guess what happens when the Antichrist comes? He is going to set up an abomination in the temple. Antiochus has actually done it before. It is a prophetic prophetic picture for sure, but I also think it's him himself. Starting in verse 36 is all this narrative of the king who will do as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above, above every god and will say of unheard of things and so on through the end of the chapter. And most commentators will tell you, well, that's not descriptive of the historical Antiochus, but is a description of the future Antichrist. So that I totally agree with. I just take it one more step and actually believe he is the returned Antichrist. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, Jeff, in Revelation eleven nineteen, what ark is the Bible referring to? Eleven nineteen. Oh, Revelation eleven nineteen. What ark is the Bible referring to? Compliments okay. of Ginny and Gary. It says, Then God's temple in heaven was opened, so we know we're seeing the temple up in heaven, right? And within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peelings of thunder. So remember that the temple on earth is only a copy of the heavenly realities, right? So everything on earth is just a pattern or a copy of what is actually in heaven. So apparently there's an Ark of the Covenant up in heaven as well as on earth. Now, where's the one that's on earth? Well, we don't know because when Nebuchadnezzar attacked, he didn't get the Ark. It was hidden. It was lost. We don't know where it is, uh, except, you know, if you watch the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, you, <laughs> you know that it's actually in the, that box in the right. warehouse all the way yeah. down. Um, but, yeah, we don't know where it is. But apparently there's an ark up in heaven as well that, that the earthly one was patterned after. Appreciate that. We'll take a little break. When we come back, we've got more time for your questions. Let me know what they are. 877-933-2484. Jeff Redorn is my guest, and we're continuing our Q&A on end times and revelation. Let me know what your questions are. 877-93-FAITH. Coming in quickly, so Jeff, talk fast. Uh, could you please clarify the role of the restrainer in end times, which is referring to in Second Thessalonians two? Some believe it's the church, and others think it's the Holy Spirit and or other options. Yeah, so you have. Uh, you're right. Some believe it's the church. Some believe it's the spirit. I actually have kind of concluded it's the spirit-filled church. How about that? So we are salt and light. The church is a force for righteousness in this world. And we restrain, if you will, the, 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 the unfettered onslaught of evil in this world because we call out evil when we see it, right? That's, what, that's the church. That's what we do. We are, we are bearers of righteousness and justice in this world. So when the church is removed, when the restraining force is removed, right, literally, if I can say this, all hell is going to break loose, right? The Antichrist is going to come 
Uh, and and evil is going to be you know just released in a in an unprecedented way on this earth without uh, salt the salt and light that the church is in this world. Now, even though we say that the spirit filled church is removed and we're light, remember anybody who believes during the tribulation still has the promise of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them when they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and are saved. So the Holy Spirit, even though is 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 has gone up with the church, if you will, anybody who believes will still receive the Holy Spirit during the tribulation period. Thank you for that. Uh, what did Jeff mean when he said that Israel is ready to build the church? Israel is ready to build the temple, the temple on the Temple Mount. I don't think I said church. Did I say church? I don't, I don't Rewind remember. the tape and we'll find yeah, out. Yeah, we'll have to check it out. But yeah, Israel today is ready to rebuild the temple on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. That's what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. What about children? Will all children be raptured? You know, this is the same question of what happens to children when they die or children that are aborted or children that die before they can believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, there's really, you know, I've taught on this a lot, and I really wish God would have addressed this more specifically in Scripture. He doesn't. But we have this story the story of David. Remember his child was sick and he was mourning and uh, then his child dies and he stops mourning and they ask him, why you stopped mourning? He goes, well, my child has died now. There's nothing I can do. And besides, I will see him again one day. So David believed and wrote in scripture that he was going to see his newborn child again one day. So I think we can conclude that, um, that, that when children die, before some age where they are going to be held account for what they believe and what they don't believe, I do think they go to they do to go to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Do you think, and therefore would be raptured? By the way, okay. Do you think the seven festivals talked about in Leviticus twenty three are prophetic? And if so, what do the fall festivals look like to you? Yes. So I mentioned this just briefly earlier. Remember, there's seven festivals uh, described in the Old Testament. I believe the first four of those were literally fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus Christ. So uh, remember our final week discussion where Jesus is the Passover lamb, that I believe that Jesus as the lamb of God was being crucified right at the exact same time and day as Israel was sacrificing their Passover lambs late in the afternoon on that day, Nisan the 14th, 32 AD. Um, And therefore... That Passover was fulfilled prophetically in Christ's first coming. I believe the final three feasts of the seven are fulfilled in Jesus's second coming. The first one, the Feast of Trumpets, I believe is what is referenced of the the last trumpet and that Jesus will rapture the church uh, at the last trumpet and fulfilling the Feast of Trumpets. Then is the day of of atonement in which I believe is fulfilled at the second coming of Christ. And then there's the Feast of Tabernacles, which then Christ will come to earth and tabernacle with his people. And ultimately, God will dwell with his people in the new heaven and new earth, fulfilling those three feasts literally as well. So yes, I believe that the seven feasts are a prophetic picture of both the first coming, the first four feasts, and the second coming, the last three feasts. All right, Jeff, if I'm a pre-trib rapture person, which means I'm not going to really be here for any of this, why would I care about any of this? Hmm. 
You know, the one, I think, why do we care? We, we want to understand God's Word. So much of God's Word covers God's plan for the end of the age. So we want to understand all the prophecies and all the coming kingdoms and the eternal states and so on. So that's number one. Um, there's, there's also this thing in the Bible. Remember the passage where it says, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. And I ask my class, why? Why is love the greatest? And I like to point out that, will we need faith in eternity? No. Will we need hope in eternity? No. No. Paul says, who hopes for what he already has? We will have it. And faith, as the song hymn says, faith becomes sight, right? We will have it. But will there still be love in eternity? And of course there will, right? So I think it's very valuable for us, the church, to study God's plan for the end of the age, to study our eternal inheritance, our eternal destiny, when we don't need faith and we don't need hope, as to grow our faith and our hope right now, today. As I mentioned, Titus calls the rapture our blessed hope. We should be eagerly waiting our Savior from heaven, right? And uh, we should be purifying ourselves with this hope, as Paul says uh, in, in Thessalonians. And one more. Let me read something. Paul says right after the rapture passage in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says this in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, brothers, about times and dates we do not need to write. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety. We can't know when this is all going to come, right? And uh, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers, are not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or the darkness. So then let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us put on self-control, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and hope of salvation as a helmet. Look, there's that faith, hope, and love again. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, whether we are dead in Christ or still alive in Christ, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as, in fact, you are doing. I think one of the great ways that we can encourage and build each other up is with this hope of our eternal destiny in heaven. Mm, excellent. Uh, what instructions would you give those who've been left behind? Mm. Wow. It means that if you've been left behind... It means you never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved. So my first instruction, in fact, my only instruction, would be to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, right? Um, today is the day of salvation. Um, God says that he has appointed a day in which he's going to judge uh, the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you are not part of the righteous, then your destiny is the great white throne judgment. You're going to be found short and your name will not be in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you're going to be thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. But if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, 
then you will be saved. You will receive his Holy Spirit, and you will live eternally with him in the new heaven and new earth. So I think there's one, look, there's a lot of websites out there that 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 uh, that have letters to all those who are left behind with great detail about what's going to happen over the next seven years and how to try to survive and so on and so forth. Look, there's only one instruction that you need if you are left behind after the rapture, and that is to to believe that Christ came, he was God in the flesh, crucified on a cross for the sins of the world, was buried, was raised to life, and is uh, at the right hand of the Father right now. And if you believe that, the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation of all those who believe. It's been a fantastic series, Jeff, and we're going to be putting together a Revelation series page within the next week or so. And in the meantime, you can go to MyFaithRadio.com and then the podcast, The Afternoons with Bill Arnold, and then search for Revelation series. We've got some great notes we're mm-hmm. adding there as well. A little added value for people who want to study a little bit deeper. So Perfect. thank you so much for this. Our next topic, Jeff, is we're going to cover the 10 most difficult teachings of Christ. Hmm. So I just wrapped up a class at Grace Church of the 10 most difficult teachings of Christ. So, yeah, let's cover that. I, That's going to like be awesome. Thank you so much for uh, doing this series. It's been wonderful. Oh, you bet, Bill. That wraps up our show. I am so glad to have spent this time with you. I'm looking forward to tomorrow already. I can hardly wait. I hope you have a great night. Have a great night of sleep, and I'll see you in the morning. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.